Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes, the premier podcast on hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. As a worldwide educator and developer of best-in-class hand therapy content, Susan Weiss, occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, brings you an array of hand therapy specialists, hand care solutions, and more. Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes. In this episode of Hand Therapy Heroes, I'm excited to introduce Lucas Roche. Lucas is a fairly new practitioner who loves research. Lucas is from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and he received his undergraduate degree from University of Minnesota and his doctorate in OT from Northern Arizona University in May of 2019. He is currently employed at Twin Cities Orthopedics in Minnesota. As I mentioned, he is a research connoisseur and he thrives on learning. So Lucas, please tell us how you became interested in occupational therapy and specifically hand and upper extremity rehab. So I went to OT school because of uh, my paternal grandmother, actually. Uh, She had a stroke when I was younger, um, about middle school age. And so I got to experience that whole rehab process that she went through. It was really eye-opening to what was out there in the terms of helping people and the whole um, getting back to function, uh, something that I never really learned about before. Um, and then she had a really, really high praise and a great time with her occupational therapist, who surprisingly actually happened to be a male as well, which I know now that's kind of rare uh, in terms of the percentages in OT. Um, so that really inspired me to check out OT. And uh, it was something that, to me, really clicked with who I am and who, you know, what I wanted to do, wanted to help people, wanted to interact with people, do what I could. Um, so I went down to uh, OT school full on wanting to be a, a neurotherapist, actually. Uh, so I wanted to be someone working with strokes and uh, spinal cord injury and such like that. Um, but while I was in school, you know, I tried to keep my mind open. And so going through all the classes and learning as much as I could, we uh, had to do this practice scholar apprenticeship program where uh, we got matched up with a clinician in the field who was doing research. And so, you know, we, we had a day where we met all of these people doing research. They talked about their projects and we ranked them all. Uh, and then I got assigned a flexor tendon study with actually um, uh, Dr. Cindy Ivey and Miranda Materi in Phoenix. So that's where I was at the time. Um, great, knowledgeable individuals who really you know, took me into that project and taught me everything, showed me what we were trying to do, let me ask questions. And it really made me think like, oh, okay, this hand therapy thing is kind of cool. Um, let's see what that's about. And so they let me, uh, through my school, gave me a one-week observational rotation in hands. And I was just hanging out, looking, watching, seeing how it went. And it was interesting. It was fun. Uh, the last day I was there, I actually was helping uh, this lady who had radio palsy. She had come up from Tucson and we were in Tempe at the time just for this dynamic orthosis. So I was helping out just putting the fishing wire through those uh, tan pads that we all use. Um, and we're just kind of small talking and whatnot. And she was asking me all these questions. Where are you from? You know, that kind of thing. And it turns out we were both born in Green Bay and lived around the same area. But she was she moved away, I want to say, five years before I was even born. Uh, kind of small world thing, but it turned out that her dad was actually a pastor at the church that I went to 
when I was younger that my parents were a part of. And it just one of those things you're like, oh, that's oddly coincidental, small world kind of thing. And so, you know, it was one of those things that kind of gave me that nod to, hey, this could be something special. And mm-hmm. so um, from there on, I looked into it, got into it. And that's my journey to that at this point. So you've really had an interesting background with excitement and already <laughs> in your in your career path. That's delightful to hear. Mm-hmm. And so you had a special interest in research from the beginning, and that's been a passion of yours. Can you share with us how you have become so passionate about research? I've enjoyed <laughs> our conversations about research, and that's never been a huge passion of mine. So I sure. love that other people are passionate about it so that we can learn from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all started for me uh, when I was an undergrad. Uh, I got exposed to the exercise physiology lab during one of my classes, Uh, more of a subject per se. At that time, we were doing VO2 maxes and stuff and, you know, running all those tests. And it it was interesting to see, okay, what are we going to do with this result that me and my classmates are putting up? And my roommate at the time actually got to help out in the lab with the research study and was telling me all about it. So I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I wonder if I can do that in the future. And then with the grad school, the PSA research project that got me turned on to hand therapy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was in the project helping out. It was kind of fun to think of these grand ideas of what can we look at? What can we try to figure out to help, you know, more people or, you know, help hand therapists do this and that, or, you know, cause it's always, I found that it's more of a it's a team project, this whole hand therapy rehab thing. You know, everyone's trying to help each other out. And so that to me was really resonated with what we were learning too about being a lifelong learner mm-hmm. and how you know never stop being thirsty or you know, don't get complacent, try to learn as much as you can and help as many people as you can. Um, in the grand scheme of, you know, we want all of our patients to have great outcomes and to be functional and to achieve their goals. So a cool way to do it is to, you know, try to figure out stuff, you know, put the puzzle together when it comes to research and what can we learn? What can we prove? Um, and I think, it's, I, th- I think it's fun. It's interesting. It's, you know, a way that we all, uh, as hand therapists, we're so spread out all over the world. It's kind of like we research is a way that we tell stories to each other almost, you know, like, Hey, I saw this or I tried this out and this is what I found. So I think it's really fun. I I do love that, like, especially case studies, you know, it's like a case study that's presented in the literature is, is quite fascinating. What it sometimes is hard to determine is the research seems so very limited on such a large scope of our practice that what can we really do that's truly, truly evidence-based and research-based? A lot of what we do is anecdotal. So how do we combat that basically to to do everything that's proven i mean then we would be doing a lot less than what we do wouldn't we right Uh uh-huh yeah it's definitely like a drop in the in the ocean almost when it comes to what's out there for research and what we can look into or what we would wish we had evidence for Uh, i think when it comes to that side of clinical practice and whatnot i've heard i've heard this phrase before and i kind of like it um it's almost practice-based evidence a lot of the time where, you know, we know anecdotally or through the years, or we've seen this works for this particular person or maybe this population. So 
maybe we do a case study or a research product to prove that it works, but we've known it works for X amount of years. So there's an instance where sometimes, you know, don't just try to look at what's proven RCT wise and stick just within that realm. Um, I think we want to know what's out there and what's proven, but also take what we've been told or what we've seen um, and put them all together. I think um, oh, we should always be questioning and it's cool to have answers, but it's also fun. I know I talk to my colleagues all the time. I might have like, hey, what have you ever thought about this? Or I, I'm seeing this person today and I'm kind of in a rut or like, you know, we're kind of um, not getting where we want to. Uh, do you, have you tried anything or have any advice? And we kind of talk here or there. And that's almost even more valuable than, you know, a good research article to an extent as well. So I think they mix together well, and we just want to not have our blinders on. We want to be open to everything, but it's always fun to have the, you know, I'm doing this and this study says that it's worked with XYZ population, this many people, and it's very powerful. And then we see results maybe in a month or so. And then you're like, okay, cool. That's awesome. I found some evidence out there in the world that directed me to this better outcome. And I think mm-hmm. that's a fun thing to find too. Right. It's like a justification system mm-hmm. for the things that you're doing. What about the things that are more clinically based? Um, are you able to still do them and get away with it? I guess with the way the insurance is now, how, how does that work for people that are using practice-based evidence versus evidence-based evidence? <laughs> um, let's see. Insurance wise, I don't have a full grip on all of it. You know, it's very complicated, which I appreciate the people that I work with that help make sure we build things correctly and direct us and, hey, do this or that. Um, I've found that, especially currently in my practice, I try to do a lot of activity based interventions when able, um, more of the therapeutic activity realm. And uh, that, in that term, it's hard to say, you know, prove what you're doing or, you know, saying we did this and that, um, it's more of your knowledge of the healing process and anatomy and, you know, what the person views as functional and important. Uh, and then you're trying to put together something that mimics that, um, functional, I'm trying to say functional motion or functional mm-hmm. strength and endurance. Um, and I think as long as you can explain in how you're writing, say, okay, we did X, Y, Z amount of time of therapeutic activity. And we did this, all this stuff with these things for this reason, as long as you can prove and explain to the person, Hey, you know, think about, say you're building a house and you have to do a screwdriver. Um, you know, if we just do five pound wrist curls, supination, you know, combo thing there for three sets of 10, okay, that's awesome. And we're strong. But if you think about it, if you're a house, someone who builds a house, how many times do you screw screwdriver in a day? You know, probably like a hundred times. So let's, you know, do this thing to build our endurance, or let's try it at this different angle. Cause you're never, you know, consistently in the perfect position or you can educate, okay, let's make sure we do this thing in a different fashion. So we don't, you know, cause further problems. So I think it's all about explaining and then, you know, using your knowledge, using what you've seen, what your colleagues are telling you. And then if you do have a little 
sprinkle of okay in 2019 x and this person and at all prove this and that's why we're doing this it's nice to kind of sprinkle it on top to really make your uh, patient or client buy in mm-hmm. um, so you do actually incorporate the evidence into your practice with your clients directly yeah, when I can, I like to, I, you know, everyone's asking questions all the time and we're continually educating and coaching. And I feel that people really grasp onto something. If you can say, oh, you know, look at, you can either say this evidence confidently and explain what the study was and how that relates to them. Or if you can pull out a picture or explain to them on themselves, even the anatomy and kind of run it down and talk about the concepts and they get confident in you that you know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. which I think is really, really valuable because especially in my practice now, I'm, you know, I'm younger in in the game per se, and I'm a younger person. And so I know a lot of people come in and see me as this young guy, like, okay, does he know what he's doing? Or like, you know, he's probably new. He, you know, I don't know, am I going to get the best care? So I feel like if I can explain confidently, what I'm doing and kind of back it up with that knowledge. It makes people buy in more and feel more comfortable. That's, that's great for the younger therapist to hear as well. Cause I, you know, I don't really think about that now being an older therapist, but mm-hmm. I do remember at the beginning thinking how young I felt Yeah, and, and we didn't have even nearly as much evidence as we do now as 30 years ago. And I'm thankful for more evidence and more therapists participating in evidence-based practice and research, because Mm -hmm. it really is a matter of it. It's got to come from somewhere. So we have to have willing people to report what they're seeing. This is true. And there's so much too. It's hard to, it's hard to even try to comprehend all that's out there. Which, you know, sometimes it's really, really hard. So it's nice that we have journals like, you know, hand or journal of hand therapy. We have these different groups. We can be in like ASHT where we can get that shipped to us. Certainly like there's people out there doing synopsis and, you know, kind of talking about it. Um, but I think if you can really grab onto, if you find a good one, it's always great to share it or give it to somebody else or send it out. Like, Hey, I found this is really interesting. Um, and some of them are really long, which, you know, you got to appreciate because all the work that goes into it, mm-hmm. but 14 page research and all that goes, you know, the statistical analysis part, sometimes it gets a little confusing because they talk about all the processes that it takes. So, you know, you can kind of get bogged down in the mud, you can get halfway through it and then have to go do, you know, see another patient because you got some downtime is done or this, and you try to pick it up maybe a day or two later and like, wait, what's going on here? And that's really right. tough. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we were talking about what you love to do is scour literature and create summaries of the literature. And you've been doing this for quite some time and sharing it with your colleagues. And we're fortunate enough to have the opportunity at, with Hand Therapy Heroes to have Lucas on the lookout, which we are going to meet with you as many times as possible, hopefully up towards of once a month as we are able to hone in on some of those awesome things that you've found either in the literature or by going to courses, because 
everybody can't go to every single thing out there and everybody can't read every single article. And, and as you said, we have wonderful journals with the journal of hand therapy, but there's lots of other journals and information that has wonderful details that you've learned about from colleagues that you can share. So we're super excited to have the opportunity to have you share with us. And I've already learned so much from the things that you've shared with me. I'm, I'm quite thankful for that. So with your avid love for research, we're honored to have you be able to share with us some of these details. Yeah, um, I'm happy that we've connected to this point where we can disseminate it in a a larger fashion. Uh, I started doing it, when was this? Probably like February of last year. Uh, Just, I felt like I had a lot of downtime. And I was still in school, like rocking through school. I was in my last rotation. And I thought, you know, I've been given so much and everyone's just kind of take me under the wing and taught me a lot. And like, hey, do this, try this. You know, have you read this? That I thought I wanted to give back to them and to other therapists because it's such a team game that I found. That's like, okay, how can I contribute to the grand team, the big squad, you know, the worldwide hand therapy team? Um, So I started diving in, reading as much as I could and, you know, get into the morning, look at what you're going to treat that day, kind of make a plan. Like, okay, maybe I have an hour before they show up or somebody doesn't show up. So I'm scouring out and trying to find what I can find. And it's been really helpful, especially with, you know, it makes me feel like I'm giving back to those who have given me so much and helping them grow and maybe igniting their passion again for something. If they've been in the field for a long time, I know I, I even myself, you can get in those, you know, Droggy, maybe here in Minneapolis for sure. It gets really gray in January and February. So it's like you're kind of down in the dumps going through the motion. So you, sometimes you you catch something that really ignites your fire again. Uh, and it's also helped me because uh, when we look at research, it's hard to not take only the conclusion. So a lot of times you see a really good looking title and a conclusion's like, oh, this could be good. But then it's reminded me, okay, maybe really look at it and I'm different way where consider the population consider the power think you know just because it says it could work doesn't mean it works for everyone you know everyone that you see maybe it could so put it in the back of your mind like okay let's think about this let's ask somebody let's talk it through with somebody let's try it with a patient that matches the population or you know maybe it's flat out says hey let's not do this i mean i've even had found research articles i off the top of my head, can't think of anything very super specific, but where it kind of directs you in a different mode where it says, you know, we found over the years that this technique doesn't really have that much benefit. So maybe it's like an extra thing I had been doing. It's like, okay, maybe I can replace that with something that I find more rewarding since it's been proven that it's not really that beneficial. So maybe I and you just it up. do that out of routine and what we were trained. In other mm-hmm. words, that's why we were right. doing it. Yeah. So it's nice to find those two spectrums too. It's like, Hey, this could be good. Hey, maybe this isn't so good. And it kind of piques your interest to question yourself too. That's, that's really great to hear. And (laughs) what I I found a lot of the things you said uh, have great points, but the research can be extremely hard to maneuver for people. Like you said, if it's a 14 page article, getting through it. And I love that you create summaries of that because you want to know things in a snapshot and it's hard to do that with the limited time. And 
thank you for creating some of these snapshots for us and summarizing what they mean, because it's also not only is the length an issue, but sometimes understanding what it all means. And Mm -hmm. for those of us who don't have heavy backgrounds in understanding literature and the powers and all the null hypothesis and this hypothesis, Mm -hmm. it's it's a little challenging for some of us. So I'm thankful for you being able to summarize some of that for those of us not as skilled in that set, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah. It's always great to read instead of 14 pages to read maybe three and get just like, what do I need to know out of this? And it helps it. And I I even use them still because I can't remember everything, unfortunately. So like if I read something a couple months ago, maybe I'll look back and be like, okay, what was that again? I thought I saw something about that. So it's easy to just recall too. Yeah. Like little nuggets instead of really long evidence-based full-fledged articles. I I love that. Exactly. Really awesome. So today we were going to discuss a little bit of a summary of a meeting that we were both just at, that Mm -hmm. the hand surgery meeting in Fort Lauderdale. So you got to warm up a little bit (laughs) and uh, you had some pearls and gems that you got from that meeting that I'd love to hear from you Mm -hmm. and our audience would love to hear about that as well. Sure. Well, I really love this meeting. I think it's a, a unique combination of therapists and surgeons. And it has, I've, I found it, especially the first year I attended it, it was so eye opening to learn from a surgeon, see them talk through their own clinical practice and their thinking and say, okay, I do this in surgery, I do that. And it kind of, and then you see the therapist say, okay, well, you know, we do this, that, and that. And it, it kind of puts the whole grand scheme of things the grand picture together. Uh, and it's, it's like a supplement. It's always great to go out and be able to observe surgery. I remember the first time I saw that it's like, wow, okay, now I understand why somebody who maybe had, you know, uh, you know, a little pin proximal phalanx pinning or something on the ring finger has all this pain <laughs> on the other fingers, or they're so stiff. It's like, oh yeah, it's because of the positioning or like how they're manipulated and, and how long it was. It's like, okay, now I get it a little bit better. And so you see these pictures and they talk through, this is what I do. This is what I don't do. This is what I'm looking for. And it also allows you to like mingle. And I think it's fun too, to see these people, um, these individuals who I've seen their name everywhere, Mm -hmm. like in the textbooks and, you know, oh, you know, this doctor, that doctor, you know, LinkedIn, those kind of things where you're always trying to get all you, like get all the knowledge and it's like, okay wait, I know that person. And then you actually get to meet them in a normal situation or maybe like at breakfast or something in passing. And you just, it brings the whole intimidation factor. Even for me at first, when you jump into the field, you're like, wow, these people are so amazing. And they are, but they're also people and they're nice, friendly, normal humans too. So it like, it makes you feel like you belong and it's better, you know, and you, and you learn things that I know I was sitting in some of these sessions thinking, oh, I know a patient that I wish I could like walk to the clinic right now and try this thing because <laughs> you pick up on these little notes. Um, yeah. It's great that it's such a wonderful mix of surgeons and therapists and the way the panels are where you have first the surgeon's presentation and then the therapist. And then in a, usually they end up in an interactive type session with the, with the whole group and sharing. There's a lot of sharing. And I think there is a fair amount of mix of your, evidence-based as well as Mm clinical-based 
practices that are shared in, in this meeting. So I think that's a neat approach. Oh, hundred uh, percent. And it's always cool to see the abstract sections where they're like, Hey, we're testing this out. And it's like, yeah. wow, I never thought about that. And it looks kind of promising. And sometimes some of those articles might not be published for three years or if at all. So you get to like see them or ask them questions and kind of put that in the back of your mind. Like, Oh, maybe I can try that or look into that a little bit more because there's some good ideas out there right now. And then you get the the clinical approaches. I think this year, especially there was, um, we talked about this beforehand, the past presidents, the surgeons who were talking about, okay, what in the past did I know, or was so, was so concrete about that? I don't anymore. Or like mm -hmm. I, I've changed my opinion because of what I've seen. I think, I think that was really awesome. One of the ones that was talked about a few times that I noticed was uh, pronator syndrome or Lacerdus area syndrome, where, you know, carpal tunnel median compression is the, it's always been a hot button, you know, carpal tunnel, carpal tunnel. They've perfected the surgery almost in my opinion, the endoscopic has been so great. Uh, mm -hmm. Even open carpal tunnels now these days, the ones that I see, I, you know, they don't need a ton of hand therapy necessarily all the time, but sometimes, you know, you get that individual that it just seems to never go away. And it reminds you to remember that, you know, the carpal tunnel is the distal portion of where that median nerve is. And you got to think grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. And so like, it makes you, it reminded me, Hey, look more proximal. If you're having issues, you know, check out that elbow area, even, you know, do some different tests or think about what you can do to you know, prevent it because it may not be as rare as we initially thought. And so that's was something that I thought was really cool to look into. Um, so what were they specifically saying um, with regards to what they would do differently from their years past with regards to pronator syndrome, just assessing for it versus just jumping in and doing a carpal tunnel and then finding out after they did the release that it wasn't carpal tunnel. Right. Yeah. They would assess more. And they said that even that small procedure at the elbow would be better than just going for the carpal tunnel right away. So just to remind themselves, Hey, okay, we have some positive maneuvers down at the distal end, but let's make sure more at the proximal end to what's going on. Um, I even, I think it was, I, that, I have it written down that that was a, a Dr. Wendell that said that. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that Dr. Lalonde was talking about his own surgery as well down there. And I know he talked about it on one podcast too. So I thought that was right. cool to hear. So now I've definitely taken measures to when I have somebody who has maybe a little median nerve um, positive signs, you know, okay, let's check along the whole thing before we say, okay, this is carpal tunnel. Here's a wrist splint, go wear it at night kind of thing, you know? Which is interesting uh, because you and I have talked about this in the past, how we get a prescription from a doctor that says carpal tunnel. And most of us just say, okay, we're going to treat the carpal tunnel. Here's our pro carpal tunnel protocol and, and out the door. And we have to remember that just because we get a prescription with a diagnosis on it doesn't give us the right to not evaluate a patient. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing the surgeons talked about it. One of the sessions I did sit on in on about how one surgeon presented that he actually had a, one of his colleagues send a patient that he wasn't going to operate on to him to have trigger fingers operated on. Mm -hmm. And he operated on them, didn't think anything about it. And then afterwards then saw they were still triggering. I believe he did it under a Wayland procedure mm -hmm. and realized that it didn't 
stop triggering. So it was actually, I believe it was a sagittal band issue. So it wasn't even Mm -hmm. a trigger finger. So even the surgeons with many, many years of experience need to remember not to just take a patient that's sent over with a diagnosis for what it is, but to evaluate them. So we as practitioners, occupational, physical therapists, whatever type of therapists we are, we need to make sure we evaluate somebody to ensure that what we're getting is the proper diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's really true. And I remember uh, even to the median nerve thing, there's a, what was it? A new nerve glide technique that they were talking about that I thought was really, really great that I've actually given to a couple of patients already in the past week or so, uh, the whole, you know, kind of out like you're waving, what is it? 90 degrees at the shoulder and elbow and just, you know, digital abduction, adduction kind of deal, which they proved had more nerve excursion through the carpal tunnel than the old other way that you can do the median nerve glide. And I found that so rewarding because it's easy to explain and show a little bit easier and it's so easy to remember compared to the original kind of median nerve glide that I've been teaching with, you know, the walkthrough pictures and everything. You're like, okay, well, it's this, that, you know, you got to yeah, X, Y, Z. Uh, and I found it so much more memorable. And th- I think that's a huge issue too, that I think we're going to dive into in a later session, but finding things that your patient can remember and do and not overloading them so they do stuff at home that actually makes a difference is huge and i got a lot a lot of sense about that at this meeting too is like fast little takeaways like okay well here's something i make sure i do maybe there's three things i make sure i do with this population you're like okay wow if three things can make that much of a difference compared to eight things let's you know Let's make sure we get the three because it's a lot easier to remember and to do as well. Right. That's a wonderful point. And we will need to have a video clip of that median nerve move that you're talking about. Uh, Perhaps anybody who emails us afterwards at info at handtherapy.com will send them access to a video clip of the portion you're discussing as some of the people are just listening and not watching. And that would be a great little tool to put in their toolbox since you learned it at the meeting and that you've already incorporated it and the patients are finding some relief with it already. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, Yeah. So one simple gem at a meeting to me, the surgeons I worked for always said, how's the meeting? And I'd say it was great. I, Mm -hmm. I, I learned a lot. They go share one thing you learned with me. So my surgeons would always say, say, well, if I went to a meeting they didn't go to, they wanted to learn what I learned at the meeting so they could then in, incorporate it into their skill set. And interesting thing about this meeting too, I was walking down the hall and saw Dr. Lalonde and we were chatting for a little bit. And he said that he listened to the podcast that Amanda did, that's his own therapist. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I learned a whole bunch that I didn't <laughs> know from her. Very cool including the fact that he didn't realize that patients didn't understand what a half fist meant. So half fist to him meant one thing and to describe it to a patient, he didn't realize that it was hard to communicate. So we had a short conversation with regards to that, but it just shows that we have as much to offer them as they have to offer us. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. The interdisciplinary teamwork that we can do is just amazing because we can learn, they can learn and it just benefits patients in the end too. You know, if we get all on the same page and we work together as a team, 
better outcomes, better, better vibes almost, you know, there's always those situations where you get somebody who's unhappy with the treatment or, you know, they thought one thing and it was this and, you know, you'll get that too. But as we learn from each other, like we're talking about, and as we get those strong team connections, I think the whole medical process is going to be just so rewarding for everyone involved. I think so. So what are a few other tips or gems you learned from our wonderful meeting in Mm -hmm. sunny Fort Lauderdale, (laughs) which it was really windy, but it was still pretty nice. That was a little unfortunate, but I'll take, I'll take seventies and eighties with a little wind over. I think it was eight degrees the other day here. I know I complaining is not going to change anything, but I'm still going to do it. Um, One thing that they talked about a lot was the relative motion concept. I know that's been something that's been out there a lot recently and how we can use it to treat stiffness and even with our extensor tendons too. How I know some surgeons want to get them right into that relative motion yoke orthotic right away after surgery and wear it all the time. Um, I, it was more of a hands-on the extensor tendon section that I went to and they showed how they make them. Um, something that I wasn't really doing when it comes to those orthotics, those for the relative motion concept was I was, kind of, <laughs> I definitely was going more straight across. So, you know, you get the hand and you just kind of do it. I wasn't thinking about the natural cupping of the hand. So it was more uncomfortable. So now I definitely am using more of a um, relaxed posture with my patients when I'm making those, you know, kind of have, okay, just relax your hand and kind of going with the curves as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I've actually used it a lot more. I've never really used the relative motion orthotic too much, you know, once in a while here or there. Um, but after this meeting, I've definitely found people who I've thought, okay, maybe this is positive with. Uh, and actually yesterday I saw somebody, um, for the second time since the meeting and she just has uh, a little 30 degree PIP small finger, uh, leg there from okay. a, let's see, what was it? An FTP repair maybe eight months ago. I'm just not satisfied with how it looks. And it's luckily very pliable, especially after heat. So gave her a relative motion there to wear during the week and she came back yesterday with a 15 degree leg so it definitely worked like wow this is so awesome and so that's definitely something that I looked into more kind of read up on still need to fully understand how to explain the quadriga effect and why we do you know flexion and extension in a more layman's terms for all of my patients for sure but I'm seeing results already so I'm really happy that Mm. I learned about that maybe you could create a small little clip for us of that and how that orthosis worked on her, perhaps if you could get her permission Mm -hmm. and, and we could include that with uh, our information because that's, that's fascinating and such a big jump. And how long had she been kind of plateaued? I think if I remember right, since October, I think she was in our clinic for a while and then kind of left in October and then she came back two weeks ago and was like, I just don't like how it is. we're seeing results, which is so rewarding. I'm that is, I'm excited for both of you. <laughs> and you were able to incorporate a new tip that you learned at a mm. conference. And now you're sharing it with bunches of other people from all over the world. And so perhaps you might be able to sneak a little clip for us. Do you think that might be possible? Possibly. We'll see. I see her next week. So. Awesome. Awesome. Put that in the notes. 
the to-do list. The to-do notes. So I, and that's great. And what else would you like to share with us about this Let's wonderful see. meeting? Right. Um, well, I think the brachial plexus session is really, really, really interesting. There's not a ton. I don't work with brachial plexus too much yet. I would like to get into that in the future. Um, it was more, and it was more surgeon based at this point, but what they're doing with the birth injury BPBI is just interesting enough to look into just as a, as a therapist in general, if you work with any of those populations, uh, pediatrics or nerve related, it's very cool to see how they're changing their surgical approach. Mm-hmm. And they actually talked a lot about um, OT for constraint therapy with these um, birth injury patients that they do surgery on. And that whole concept is more of a neuro thing, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. I think it's really interesting. And they talked about, you know, targeted play with high impact toys, really developing that proprioceptive input at a young age, okay. which I found, even though that was for brachial plexus, that I think in my mind, I do see some pediatric individuals um, and just being conscious of the proprioception and developing that and working with that, um, I think can go a long way, especially with younger individuals, even with, um, I found it's kind of helpful with some of the major, um, nerve compressions or like I have somebody who has, who had one of those sets procedures, the supercharged and decide transfers who, you know, some proprioceptive activities have kind of helped him break out of the, you know, guarded position that he holds himself in for so long, even, and how it has helped us kind of open things up too. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then the major, the last major tidbit that I've taken away, um, well, I learned about the Varus protection program with unstable elbows, which is really, really interesting and really intricate and um, definitely something I want to commit more to memory as I see more elbows here or there, hopefully um, not too many. I never, I always say I never wish my services on anyone, um, but uh, the biggest the last part that I really enjoyed was there was a section on thoracic outlet syndrome, which is they claimed is frequently mixed up with carpal tunnel or cubital, which I could definitely see. Um, and they talked about the difference between vascular and neurogenic Mm -hmm. and how we can kind of test for that. And we need to always be on the lookout for that kind of deal. And, um, they talked a lot about pec minor and how, you know, if we can release that, not even surgically, more with maybe a grass and hawk grip squash uh, kind of concept, um, even though you do kind of have to get up into the armpit of your person. So maybe build a little bit of rapport before you jump right into that. Uh, but that's something that I've put in the back of my mind is, okay, maybe if this person talks about how oh, they heard this pop or they had this pain here or there, and oh, I don't know, you know, it's just hasn't gone away. You do a couple tests and, you know, check their, you know, spurlings just to make sure it's not you know, cervical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look at your upper limb tension. You can look at tunnels and some atrophy in there. You just, maybe you got a, a hunch. Okay. This is definitely neurological to some extent, but is it almost a cubital tunnel? Is it carpal tunnel? I don't know. You know, let's kind of check and see. So now that's on the back of my mind. Okay. Maybe we do check and see if the pec minor is tight. We release it a little bit. Does the symptoms change? Um, and that was something that I'd never 
knew before and I never looked mm-hmm. into. Uh, and so that's definitely something that I'll, it's, I'm on the lookout for. There, That's good. Is- I mean, that reinforces what we were discussing a little bit earlier, how someone could just come in with a plain old cubital tunnel diagnosis or carpal tunnel diagnosis. And if you treat them on going for the diagnosis and wait three months and treat them for three months for that diagnosis and nothing's changing, mm-hmm. you kind of miss that opportunity to look more proximally. So we have to always remember to look proximally. That's a great reminder. Yeah. And it really reinforced with all the, there's a lot of nerve um, sessions, which is really cool because it's a very hard thing to deal, especially with the pain and, you know, because it's hard to explain, okay, well, you know, the healing process for nerve pain and nerve regeneration, you can give them the millimeter a day, centimeter a month talk and kind of show them how long that could be. But when it comes to like nerve pain and things like that, it's hard to explain that it could be a year. It could be, we don't know, you know, it could be longer. It could be, you know, and so that's one of those things where now I have different techniques to try to help to mediate some of these issues. I think it really reinforced the importance of proximal um, strengthening and and scapular humeral rhythm and stability where, you know, sometimes um, the shoulder complex is definitely a, I want to say contested area, you know, we got physical therapists who do it in some States and some clinics, and we have occupational therapists hand, and hand therapists in general who either don't want to do it and that's fine, or they really want to, but you know, the whole battle between outpatient PT hand therapy kind of deal. Um, but regardless, if you want to treat shoulder rotator cuff and that kind of deal, it's important to know the concepts of the shoulder and to think of it, in your pro in your distal diagnosis. So I'm, you know, definitely been doing, you know, some stretching, some rhythm activity, some more stabilization, uh, shoulder girdle, scapular rhythm activities with my even, you know, lateral epicondylitis or, mm-hmm. um, those distal nerve compression individuals just to redistribute the forces and make sure everything is working in a more in a, what do I want to say, in a better union, in a better fashion, so that we can prevent recursors too, you know, reoccurrences. Mm-hmm. And it opens everything up and mm-hmm. frees the neural pathways anyhow. Yeah. And they talked a lot about that kind of thing. So it was definitely, for me, it was validating to be like, okay, I'm doing some of this, but now I have more tools to do even more and hopefully I can help too. Awesome. Awesome. Did you have anything else you wanted to share? We will include as many of the tips and tricks that we can in a summary sheet. Um, if they email info at hand therapy and we discussed the, we're going to give them a treat. If they want a one AOTA credit hour, the therapists that need credit hours, we're going to offer after listening to this and reading the additional information, they'll have a, a credit hour they can earn from this amazing session that you've provided mm-hmm. us. Very cool. So did you have any final thoughts or some summaries that you would like to share? I don't want to, you know, take away anything from For sure. the meeting or that you want to share. And, but we also want to respect your time and everyone's mm-hmm. time. So <laughs> um, I think those are the big things that really stuck out to me. I, I do have a bunch of, bunch of notes on here, so I can include those in the write-up for you, for everyone. Awesome. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we're looking forward to seeing what Lucas has on the lookout for us as time goes on. And thank you for doing some of this research for us. We're extremely grateful to you and being part of our community. And thank you so much for joining us on Hand Therapy Heroes. Please email info at handtherapy.com and put Lucas on the subject line so we can send you directions to access the details on the free CE bonus, as well as the details from the AAHS meeting. Thank you for listening to Hand Therapy Heroes. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Visit handtherapy.com and register for our newsletter containing free content and courses about our fascinating hands. Hold hands today for a more functional tomorrow.